We will be in Luke chapter 22. I'm preaching on Behold My Servant. Try to look at why and how Jesus served. Stand with me, Luke chapter 22, verses 24 to 27. Read aloud with me. 22, verse 24 to 27. Luke 22, verse 24 began. And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. And he said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat? But I am among you as he that serveth. Let's pray. Father, you turn everything upside down. It's not what we expect, and often it's not really what we want. But it's how you designed real success. It's how you have made a way for people to have joy in the midst of great, great sorrow and defeat. Lord, I pray that we would look at a servant this morning, and it would just change us into servants. Lord, the greatest thing that has ever been done is when one perfect Lamb of God, a finished Lamb, a sinless Lamb, took the place of sinners all over this world, and He did it as a servant. Lord, we forget that that is true success. We want things to be fought. We want things to be won. We want things to be um, uh, defeated in our lives when we need to just humble ourselves. And we need to let you work out the end because you are good and you are the finisher of our faith. You will, you will make everything right. Vengeance belongs to you. Judgment belongs to you, and salvation belongs to you. May we look at the greatest servant of all this morning and see that his life needs to be ours now. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. All right. I want, to see, I want you to see this morning what the world doesn't see. I realize often when I preach that Many people just, it just goes over their head. And many times that can be my fault. But there are some things that just can't be got until you're born again. In servanthood, in understanding what I'm about to preach, if you're not saved, this is going to be like, what? But let me tell you, there is something wonderful about just being a servant of the Lord Jesus. We know what our culture thinks of servants. We think of a servant as the lowest class of people just above slavery. If somebody says, I'm a servant, what do you do for a living? I'm a servant. Well, that doesn't usually impress anyone. 
But Jesus never saw being a servant as slavery or as insignificant. He saw being a servant as the primary means of success and victory and change. We know that before we were saved, we used to be the servants of sin. Take your Bible, turn to Romans now. Romans chapter 6. And I'm glad I have my King James Bible because the cross-references I'm about to teach you this morning are not in the New Bibles. But there is a word that is throughout your Bible. It is the word servant. I'm glad that God doesn't call me to be a slave. He calls me to willingly yield my life to him, which is what a servant does. Romans chapter 6 and verse 16 says this, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye, and you ought to circle that next word, ye were the servants of sin. Is that a good verse? God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Being there made free from sin, you became free to do as you please. Is that what the Bible says? No, you were the servants of sin. You now are free to be the servant of righteousness. So in all, for all practical purposes, what we've done is we've switched sides, amen? As they say in legal terms, we got on the right side of the law, amen? Whereas before we were criminals, before we were rebels. Now we serve right causes. Now we serve a right master. And we yearn to be a servant for righteousness' sake. And I want you to hear just how people were to be known as servants of Jesus. There throughout the Bible, there are people like James. He calls himself James, the servant of God. Simon Peter starts his 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, Simon Peter a servant of Jesus Christ. He's not ashamed. That's his, that's his highest title. Paul, a servant of God. You see that theme? Every time they're writing, they're started off saying, I'm a servant. Epaphras, who is one of you? Paul writes to the Colossians, he says, he's a servant, and he honors him. Phoebe, a servant of the church. Epaphras, another time, he says, a fellow servant. Tychicus, a fellow servant. Titus, a fellow helper. Timotheus, a fellow laborer. And there's about two dozen more times where people just proudly say, I serve God. And they did it without remorse or regret. Now, I'd like to ask for some testimonies, just real brief, of some people who serve in our church. I'm going to ask Brother Darren if you would come up real quick and just describe what's it like. He's a volunteer. He gives of his time and his effort. Just a brief testimony. What's it like working for the pastor? And don't be mean. Okay. <laughs> Talk for an hour easily Amen. about all the things that came in. Yeah. Because it's so 
took a wonderful picture. So I was talking about that. Um, I did go in there for, uh, I, don't, I don't have that kind of a testimony, but I'm doing this for some of the people who, uh, the reason I go is because I want to have faith, right? Amen. And so we, uh, I did go in there and uh, for years, and the, the things that are taught there are valuable for every single person in the salvation of us. And so if you find that you are really just want to draw to help out a ministry and, and uh, you think, oh, maybe I can help out in Corpus City, you can. Amen. You absolutely can. So what you can do is do that, um, and it would be a wonderful investment of your time. And so you can drop in tomorrow night to the uh, meetings that we have on Saturday. Um, yeah, this year we're having Martin Luther King Jr. I won't bring this this time for all these people. So make sure to come bring four minutes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we're having that now, sorry. Um, and you you will not regret the, the time you spent and invested there because the uh, the things that are taught there are so valuable for everyone. Um, I never get enough of it. Like I, I, I go there uh, every time, and um, and uh, it's just God's will, glory, the glory of God, and um, the the power that's in there at the church of the bride is so like magnified because of this specific ministry that takes place.
Okay, amen. <laughs> Let me just talk about a couple of the ministries that are in the church. Uh, I, I try to let everybody know what goes on, but where is Eric? Eric, you know, um, I, I don't know why I put him in charge of this ministry. <laughs> no. He really goes out of his way, and, and really there's a great group, but honestly, there's not enough to, to make sure that every service people are made to feel welcome, part of, and that they are ministered to. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll say, come on up here, Eric, for a second. I need you to do it in just one minute. But I want to say, when I, the first time I went to church on my own, I remember going to church as a, as a kid, and I would just go to sleep on my mom's lap uh, when I was a kid. Um, it was all, to me, it was all way up there. It was impossible to appreciate. Um, they never preached the gospel. It just was dead to me. So, um, but when I got the gospel on a Saturday night and I was challenged to come to church on a Sunday morning, get out of bed and come on my own to prove that I wasn't a sissy or a wimp, and then I could actually get out of bed and go on my own. Well, I went to church, but when I went to church, I didn't have a Bible. When I went to church, I went into a big hall that had 250 people and if I wasn't careful, I would be terrified of them. 
but they actually went out of their way to come over, greet, say hello. They didn't overwhelm, but they were very friendly. And then when I sat down, I noticed, and I'm, I'm, I'm the same as anybody else, I picked a place where I had three seats empty this way and three <laughs> seats empty that way. I didn't want to sit next to anybody, and I just sat there. And as the pastor got up and opened the Bible, this guy over to my right noticed I didn't have a Bible, and he scooted right over, and he held his Bible right next to me, and he says, here's where he's reading. I didn't ask him to do that, and I was, but it was the first time I actually had read the Bible, hello, in church, and I went, I can read it. <laughs> and it was a blessing because somebody went out of their way for me, and that's what the welcome ministry is. And you like the welcome ministry, don't you? I love the welcome ministry. Amen. Just give a tiny spiel that it's a blessing to be a part of. You know, well, this is impromptu, but um, when I was in Belfast, I went in a couple of weeks, visit different churches, mostly congregational or Baptist or something, and we went to those churches, and, and some of them, they'd get a shake at their hand at the door, and that's it. You go in, you come out, nobody notices that you were there. And when that happens in a church, no one speaks to you or anything, I don't want to go back. Hmm. But when you come into a church, and you welcome someone, and several people talk to you, and someone says, make sure our visitor here gets a cup of coffee, or if someone sits down, have you got a Bible, or here's a hymn book, when someone notices you say, these people notice me, I want to come back there. Yeah. You know, the welcome ministry are the first point of contact when people come through the door, and that's very, very important. Yeah. I always remember the first night I came to this church up in Lake, it was Sunday night, and it was coming up to Christmas, I said to my father-in-law, sure, let's go up and try this, because it was the only church I knew that was open uh, at night time close. That night, uh, John Manning, where's John? He's the first person ever spoke to me. And it was about filling in a little card. And he asked a few questions, where are you from, and nice to meet you, and so on. But it wasn't just even the questions. It was his tone of voice, his smile, and his welcome. It's always stuck in my head. I'm here. I must be 11 years next month. And it's always stuck in my head. It was the first point of contact yeah. with John. <coughs> it's very, very important when people come in that you smile and you welcome them and make them feel that they, you want them to be here. Yeah. And I just want to mark up two people. Um, is there's two twins. I don't know where the other one is. She's hiding somewhere. Um, folks, these girls are, they're, what, 14, is it? They're only 14. They're not 18. They're not members of the church and so on. But you know what? There's all of us like Dina and uh, uh, David and myself. But these two are very important to the welcome ministry. Mm -hmm. You have no idea. But we could do with more help. Because Amen. there's times they're not available or they're sick. They're standing on the door every Sunday, and you know it takes a lot of pressure and stress off me, especially when I got a head cold as well. So the welcome ministry, first point of contact, extremely important. I always remember John Manning, his tone of voice and his smile. Yeah, thank you, thank you. An extension of the welcome ministry is also making that cup of tea for you that you are craving right now, but you're not going to get. You'll get in a little bit, but. What that means is it creates an atmosphere, and that's very vital. There's also the setup and take down ministry, and I ha uh, I'm not going to have you speak, but Darren and his boys are usually very early, and they're very dependable, and this is very important. You can, you can say, I'd like to help, and then you're not there. It doesn't work. I need people who can be here early and help set up, make sure everything's ready to go. And then when it's done, they kind of stay around afterwards and make sure everything is put away. That's a ministry. You know what happens? If it doesn't get done by somebody else, it follows on the pastor. And that's hard. It should be 
spread upon everybody. And you say, I can't do anything. Yes, you can. You just have to sacrifice about five or ten extra minutes coming early or leaving a little bit later and helping set up or take down. That is a ministry. We also have the nursing home. Now, we need a leader for that. We need somebody who senses that our ministry in our area nursing home, the Powder Mills nursing home, is something they want to help with. And how many of you have ever gone to sing at the nursing home? Let me see your hands. There's quite a few. And it is a great treat because you're ministering to people who will otherwise never get the gospel. And you give your testimony. They're singing. You sit and you share uh, 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 10 minutes of talking with them. We've got chocolate. We've got different things. that Sometimes on Father's Day, we bring cards. Mother's Day, bring gifts. What is all that for? So they feel appreciated by... God. I'm sure their families are going there, and I don't know who other else goes in there, but we can have a great impact. I'm just begging. Do I have to get on my knees? I'm just begging that somebody would say, I'd like to help. And I may, if, if it works out, I may be able to really take that thing and learn how to do it and make it my ministry. There is also soul winning. Now, Andrew, come up here for a second. How many people should be soul winners? Every born-again Christian, Jesus said to a group of about 500 on the Mount of Olives, as they stood there, and they thought Jesus was going to be there forever. He says, nope, i got to go up to my Father in heaven. I'll be back, but until I come back, I need you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. He didn't say, except you and except you, and I understand you can't. He didn't say that. He said, all of you, get going. Go ye into all the world. So this is a ministry you should be What does that ministry mean? It means grabbing you a gospel track and giving out one a day. Just finding somebody to say, here, would you read this, please? It changed my life. It changed my destiny. And that is a ministry every person. You say, I don't have it. You should have this ministry. If nothing else, you should be burdened for souls. Amen? Am I right? Absolutely. Amen. And, uh, you know, and, and if you're not able to go out on Saturdays, I know some people have to work. Honestly, sometimes Saturday is the only day off. Mm. I love this. Uh, 
heart, you know, whenever I see you know David every single week, hands me an envelope. Uh, ever since we started doing the trash a day, uh, he's, I don't think he's missed one week. Ooh, amen. But he has been, you know, he goes out for his walks and he sees somebody and gives him a trash. Hallelujah. And he's actually gone international with it. He's been <laughs> to Bucharest, he's been to Italy, he's been to Rome, the Vatican, and he's been handing out <laughs> trash. But the thing is, you never know what that one trash could do. That's right. It is the word of God, and God said his word will never be. Amen. And so, um, you don't know what kind of investment you're making for the souls that you're handling just by handing out a tract. You know, you don't have to go up there and give the gospel and, and have that pressure, but if you just hand a tract to somebody, let God do the speaking. Mm. Uh, it's just being available, I think, is the hardest part because we don't want to do it. Amen. You know? and, um, and so, if you have any questions or if you want to, to come out you know, as we start up again, just please let me know. Um, okay. Um, and so, you know, um, again, it's a great responsibility. But it's probably one of the scariest responsibilities. It is. It really is. Amen. Because it is, um, it is a blessing. You actually get to see someone's life changed by the gospel. Amen. You know? And again, this is eternity that we're talking about. It's not just, you know, changing their, their day or just that day. It's changing their, their eternity. Amen. Amen. You can tell, you can tell that a ministry is not something like, okay, this is what I do, and then get over it. No, it's something we live for, and we enjoy. Whatever ministry that you get involved in, God will give you a joy for it. You say, how could you enjoy, you know, being, having your knees knocking because you're fear, and I know fear, um, but there's just a joy when you do something that's outside of yourself, for the Lord. We also have Kresh and Dina's back there. You have no idea the, the sacrifice that many women make to, to make sure that moms and dads can be in church. And they give, now each one of these are numbers of people who are involved to some degree. And we have about 15 people and you think that must be loads of people. You need to ask them, is that enough? And they'll say, no. <laughs> because we like to make it so that somebody who comes and helps out in crash, doesn't have to do it again for another two months. Sometimes they have to do it about every three weeks. And so the more people who volunteer to help in crash, it actually makes, it ministers to so many people, and, and it is a great, it's a, it, you're, you're investing in kids because they're having fun, and the parents are actually going, oh, this is great. <laughs> um, our choir now, I'm not going to, we're just going to, we, we have 15, about 15 people who help out and sing in the choir, and we haven't had them sing in a while. I kind of miss them, but they are a blessing when they just come up and they sing. The kids are a blessing. None of that happens by accident. So when we offer and say, hey, come join the choir, you say, I could never sing. Neither could I. 
not even the shower tolerated me singing. So when I got saved, the choir in my church, I'll tell you just very briefly, there were 250 people in the church and 150 of them were in the choir. And when they sang, I'd never, ever heard anything like it. And I said, can I join? Not because I thought I was going to impress anybody, but I wanted to learn. And if I have any ability to sing now, it's because I had a very patient uh, choir master, and I yearned to be able to sing the songs of Zion. So I'm telling you, come along. Uh, this is a ministry that ministers to people on a Sunday morning, Sunday night, when we're at the uh, shopping center for... Um, uh, for Christmas, uh, Carol sing. Piano, Jennifer, come up here real quick. Tell us about the needs for musical instruments. I love this ministry, um, but I have a question for everybody. How many of y'all listen to music? Listen to music? We all listen to music, right? Well, um, God loves it when we, when we sing for a choir, but he also likes it at church when we're worshiping him. And so we need to um, have more people involved into this ministry. In the Bible, several times instruments of music are mentioned, and it's just for giving praise to God. Mm. And that's what we do. And we sit and play piano or the guitar. And I just wonder if there's maybe somebody here that might say, oh, but I'm not very good. Mm. <laughs> um, I'm not very good, but it's just being willing to, to play and take turns with this ministry. We don't, we don't have to play every Sunday, but just maybe play the piano, the guitar, maybe even how to play a different instru instrument. Um, I know there's probably several children in here that in school they have, or even now adults that have taken musical instruments in school, and we can use these instruments to help worship God. Um, they don't have to, like I said, they don't have to be a professional. Um, if you are interested in this, um, we do, like I said, take turns playing. Um, you can see Pastor or, or John. And it's just a fun um, fun thing. You don't have to be a professional, but just be a servant, you know, Amen. be willing to, to play. Um, and John is very gracious to give us the schedule ahead of time so you can practice. So you're not on the day going, I don't know the song. You know, you can you can practice up ahead of time. So hmm. please, even if you know maybe just maybe you only know one hymn or maybe two hymns, Come and see John, and we can work out a way that you can just play those two hymns mm -hmm. and just be a help. Okay? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Anything you do beyond just sitting in your chair actually makes you a part of the church. If you just come, you're a spectator. But when you get down on the field, like everybody else playing that game, all of a sudden you're part of the game, and I hope that you join. Uh, I'll tell you, there's a ministry called a secretary. I am now going out on a limb, and I'm asking for somebody who could faithfully give four hours a week to help me in the office with some distinct hard work tasks. Um, it is, uh, there's, there is, um, there's a lot that I and John do that would be nice if somebody did it and, and took care of it and, and was good at it and that we could do other things. I don't get the freedom to do what I need to do. Uh, yesterday I was with Mick McCarthy. He, was, he got into the hospital because of a chest infection that's just not healing and not getting better. And it's so wonderful to be able to do that, but it takes time to go and visit people. And I need a little bit of help. So if anybody says, you know, I can do work in an office, talk to me. You may not be the one because there may be more than you can do, or maybe something you don't want to do, but volunteer. 
because you could make a difference. Whatever you can make my life easier, I'll make your life easier, I guarantee you. Amen. <laughs> um, let me, we're, tonight there's going to be more ministries. And I, I, we could talk all, as, as Darren said, we could talk all day because we love serving the Lord. I used to serve myself. I used to serve the devil. I used to serve my friends. But I serve a great Savior, and I wouldn't trade anything for the world. Let me take you into Isaiah 42. We're going to look at three scriptures. Isaiah 42 in verse 1. I'm going to read seven verses, and then I'm going to comment on them, and then we'll read another set of verses and comment on them. And I want you to hear these words. Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah 42, verse 1, Behold my servant, this is God talking, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment, we'd say justice, to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break. And, in the, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail, nor be discouraged, till he have set judgment in the earth, and the isles, including Ireland, shall wait for his law. Thus saith, the God, thus saith God the Lord, he that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it, he that giveth breath unto the people upon it, and spirit to them that walk therein. I, the Lord, have called thee, this servant, in righteousness. And I will hold thine hand, and I will keep thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people, and for a light of the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. Now, what you're looking in Isaiah 42, he says, Behold my servant, as if it is something special, as if this person is something special. And he is. If you don't realize it, God's talking about his son, Jesus. Now, I want you to notice what God did not say about his son. He did not say, Behold the king. As a matter of fact, most people who ever refer to Jesus as king mock him. When they nail him on the cross, oh, they put it on top that he was the king of the Jews as they let him die. God didn't say, behold, the king. He didn't even say, behold, my mighty sovereign. And he didn't even say, behold, my son. No. God said, take a good look at a servant. And I wondered, why would God direct our attention at a servant? Evidently, it is not what we do that is so spectacular. What do you do? Oh, I do this. I make that. I sell this. But it's the attitude that makes the difference. Hmm. More than two dozen times in Scripture, God honors serving over leading. You'll find God pleased with a young man named Joseph as he served prisoners while himself was in prison. You find young David serving his father while his older brothers were having, getting ready to have a feast, sitting down with Samuel, expecting a new king to be anointed. You know where David was? He was doing what his dad told him to do. His dad said, go take care of the sheep and, and uh, we'll, we'll see you in the morning. Whatever it was, David didn't live in remorse saying, I wish I was back home. I wish I was back there with that feast. 
He served his father, and it took Samuel saying, who's missing? And his dad said, well, there's one youngest kid, if you really want him. He's only a kid. You know, David was faithful serving. When David was called upon to serve alongside King Saul, you know what he did when Saul wanted him dead? David kept serving. David kept honoring the king. Moses, you find him at the bottom of the success ladder. He was keeping sheep on the backside of the desert. Do you know whose sheep he was actually taking care of? His wife's father. He didn't even have his own sheep to take care of. He's watching his father-in-law's sheep. Moses started at the bottom of the success ladder, and God says, that's where I wanted him. The greatest general of the army, Joshua, served alongside Moses for 40 years before he was named to lead the nation of Israel into the promised land. But before he became that leader, he was a servant for 40 years. You'll find an entire chapter in Genesis 24 dedicated to a servant named Eleazar who served Abraham. And Abraham said, I trust this servant to find a wife for my son. Now, I don't know who had greater faith, Abraham, Isaac, or the servant, because Isaac's trusting his dad to find a son, for, uh, find a wife for him. Abraham says, no, I don't trust me because I'm not going to go get her. I'm going to send my servant to go find you a wife. That's great faith. But let me tell you, Eleazar was a servant that God trusted and wrote an entire chapter about a servant. Jesus is God's son. He is king of kings and lord of lords. But as a man, he was first and foremost, he was a servant. So what's special? And this is very important to understand. What's so special about Jesus being a servant? Well, he was specially chosen. God even calls him. He says, my elect. I have chosen this guy. You know, when, when, when we want God to choose us to be Tishuk, or we want him to choose us to be you know, something grand and something powerful, something important. And God says, I choose a servant. He was specially chosen. He was a blessing. He says, in whom God says, my soul delighteth. You know, in Matthew 3, 17, God speaks from heaven when Jesus gets baptized. John the Baptist says, I should be baptized of you. And Jesus says, no, suffered to be so. It needs... I need to fulfill all righteousness. And he humbled himself and let John the Baptist baptize him. And God spoke from heaven and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He's doing what I asked him to do. He was a spirit-filled servant. Did you know I have found that God's Holy Spirit, we all should yearn to be filled with the Spirit. As a matter of fact, there's a command in the Bible. Be not drunk with wine but be filled with the Spirit, amen? And, but the Bible says that God's Holy Spirit is not given to a rebel. God's Holy Spirit is not poured out upon and given to somebody who's going to live their own way. That's a waste of good treasure. God gives His Spirit to the humble. God gives His Spirit to the lowly, to the servant. Listen to uh, Acts chapter 5. And, ye, and we, Peter says, are witnesses of all these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey Him. That's what a servant does. A servant doesn't argue with God, by the way. 
Jesus was a spirit-filled servant. Jesus changed the world as a servant. Did Jesus mount a white horse and charge through Jerusalem and rally an army to go through and to get rid of the Romans and to establish Israel again as a great nation? Did he do that? No, he rode a donkey. You know how fast a donkey rides? The rest of the time he walked and he taught. When people were healed, he would say, don't tell anybody. <laughs> wow. But as he went, he was changing the world. Amen. A servant attitude can turn the world upside down. Best of all, he promises he will not fail. Do you know, uh, he... he he will not fail, and he would not be discouraged because he's righteous. God said, I'm, not, I'm doing this so that you become righteous. Like Jehovah's Witnesses think, the more you do, the more righteous you are. No, no, no. He, he says, of my son, I do it because he is righteous. Thankfully, he's never a failure. God, God can't fail, amen? God held him. God kept him, the Bible says. It demonstrates that, that it was his deity. God never committed himself to anybody like he committed himself to the man, Christ Jesus, because he was God in the flesh. He would not fail to be discouraged because God was offering him as the Lamb of God that takes away all sin. He's the new covenant. We're in the New Testament because of a servant named Jesus. And he promises that he will open people's eyes Free prisoners, not just from prison, but from sin. And from the bondage of demon possession, from the bondage of their own life. Thank God. Thank God. Thank. Listen, how are servants treated now? Isaiah 52 now, verse 13. How are treated? You say, I'd like to help, Pastor. I'd like to maybe serve in the church. Let me tell you how tr servants are treated. Isaiah 52 and verse 13. Behold, what is that word? What, see those three words? Behold, my servant shall deal prudently, carefully, precisely. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. I wonder what that's referring to. The cross. See, when, when, the, when Peter, James, and John were looking for the Messiah, they wanted somebody who would stand high above the crowd like King Saul, head and shoulders above everyone else. But Jesus came and he says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. And Peter probably thought, wow, well, we'll, we'll honor you. And Jesus says, no, no, no. When I'm high and lifted up on the cross. So here's the cross being described here. Verse 14, as many were astonished, astonished at thee. His visage, what his face was so marred more than any man, and his form, his form, his, his bodily shape was marred more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which hath not been told them shall they, not, shall they see, and that which they have not heard shall they consider. Keep going in chapter 53, verse 1. Who hath believed our report? How do we get people to believe this? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he, this servant, shall grow up before God as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness that when we shall see him, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. 
He's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. He goes on. He was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any wicked de deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasures of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous, what's the word? Servant shall Jesus justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of so many, and made intercession for the transgressors. How are servants treated? Well, Jesus, it says, he grows up as a tender plant, there was, there, if you looked at Jesus Christ, you would have not sensed any threat. He was the opposite of what a great leader is expected to be. Most armies train their youth to be hard, to be killers from childhood. Throughout history, there are such awful descriptions of how children were conscripted, taken to camps, and taught to become numb, and taught to kill taught to obey without question, taught to be ready to fight for the king or the emperor or the leader. Here was Jesus without a threat, tender, meek, and lowly. Here he comes, a servant. Here is a man who has no beauty to attract followers into the battle. He was not handsome. If you looked at Jesus, he was a plain Jane. He would have looked like everyone else. It was not somebody who would inspire you to follow him. As a matter of fact, he was despised and rejected by men. The only reason why people hung with Jesus, well, there were a couple of times where they actually liked what he said, but they weren't attracted to him. When, when, when he did, when he fed 5,000, believe me, guess where everybody was tomorrow? Back there for more food. But when he got up there and started teaching, I'm going to die, they went, bye. He would only experience sorrows and grief as he served people. You ever try to do something for somebody else only to be bit? Only to have disappointment that they didn't even recognize you, didn't even notice you, didn't care what you did for them, and you do it over and over. You serve people, you help people, you, 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 you become a servant, and people abuse you. Is that not true? You ought to start, you ought to right now get you a job behind a cash register at Dunn's. I'm not talking about the grocery side, I'm talking about the clothes side. Because 
everything that can go wrong will go wrong, and you'll be blamed. <laughs> and you got to smile through it all. Well, that's just a tiny taste of what it is to serve God. How are they treated? You know, Jesus would never be respected or appreciated like he deserved all those years of his life. People looked at him and went, huh. John chapter 1 says he came into his own and his own received him not. Didn't like him. He never was appreciated. As a matter of fact, the very people who cried out, crucify him, were the same ones that Jesus had healed and had helped and had fed. He would carry other people's griefs and sorrows. He experienced them. But then, you know, when you're so low and when you are so hurt, and then you get up and you still carry someone else's hurt, that's a servant. How are servants treated? Like dirt. How are they, how are they looked upon? As lower than dirt. That's how they're treated. This... Servant is described in Isaiah 53 as taking our beatings, as taking our bruisings, as taking our stripes and our whippings. And he did it. And he did it without a whimper. He made no sound. He didn't open his mouth. He didn't cry out, this is not fair, like you and I would. And he died in the place of the wicked. You know, there are some people that I wouldn't mind dying for. I mean, if, if, if my wife, if my daughter, if my grandkids, if anybody that I love was, was in danger, give my life, amen. Take my kidneys. Take the kidney stones too, whatever. Do what, whatever is needed to save that life. But there are some people I don't want to die for. You understand my point? There are some people I look at and I say, good riddance, amen? But a servant... This servant died for the wicked. That's a servant. That's a level I've not approached to. I don't know how to love my enemy yet. Amen? Like Jesus did. And if you look at him, Jesus is described as somebody who when you see him, he will look like a complete failure. But he beat the odds. He was actually a success. Amen? He succeeded in the cross in what looked like ruin. His disciples gave up. The, the, road on, the man on the road to Emmaus says, we believed, we don't anymore, that he was the one who should come. Everybody thought Jesus was finished, except Jesus. Because as a servant, he did what God called him to do. And as a servant, he stayed faithful to the end, even when his own Friends and family abandoned him. Do you know who he pleased through his entire life? One person, the Father. His perfect life, his perfect service, his yielded death justifies so many people, saves the world. Hmm, looks like being a servant works, amen? Even though they're treated like dirt. Last one, Philippians chapter 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians chapter 2. What's the attitude of a servant? <clears throat> Verse 5. 
Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, let this mind, let this way of thinking be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a, wow, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I want to say just a few things about this verse, and then we're going to take a break and have a cup of tea. Are you ready? Because I ain't finished. We're going to take a cup of tea. You're going to do something for me, and then we'll come back, and I got one more brief. I'll just make one statement, and we're done. But you got to stay to the end. Okay, ready? Number one, the attitude of the servant if you notice here, it says even though he was God, he never robbed God by being God. He made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, made in the likeness of man. You know what that's describing? It was a step down for Jesus to come into the world, not a step up. This is the biggest shocker. It's the exact opposite of what most anybody would want in a job. You start the job, we'll start you here, and then you'll go down. Ladies, let me tell you something really clear and plain. I'm going to make some enemies. When you marry, you become a helper of your husband, not his master. When you married, ladies, you took a step down, whether you like it or not. Amen. Thank you. We're going to be sleeping on the couch for a while. Moms. When you became a mom, you took a huge step down in the eyes of the world. Amen? You lost your freedom. You have to stay around those kids and raise them from, for God. Somebody's got to. I know you say, my husband should. Mm, we don't know what we're doing, and you think we're going to do better with you. Oh, never mind. You took a step down when you became a mom to the world. Gentlemen, when you married, you took a step down. Oh, you were independent. Your money was your own. Your car was clean. <laughs> Come on, stay with me. Your schedule was always clear. You could do whatever you wanted. Now you're married. You took a step down. Amen. And you became a servant to that wife. You became a servant to those kids. You became a servant. Amen. You took a step down. When you answer God's call, and you say, I'm going to help out in, the, in any ministry. We're not raising you up. We're not taking you and making you better, greater, faster, smarter. We're making you a servant. And you're taking, well, oh, that'll take, you know what's going to happen? You're going to have to take time, time that you used to be free to do as you please, and now you're serving others. It's going to take money, money you used to spend freely, and you say, no, now I want to make sure somebody else is blessed. When you become a servant, you step down. He made sure he had no reputation at all. I, I can't do that. I think it's very hard. I, I like having a good reputation. Now, there's a difference between having a good name and a good reputation. A good name means you have character, but a good reputation shows all of the success you've had, all of the good things you've accomplished, all the things that people can say, oh, that person does such. But Jesus... God stepped down and made sure he had no reputation to worry about. He came in at dirt level 
and he didn't mind everybody treating him as dirt. So when people come along and they don't even notice you, it won't bother you. Because that's what happened with Jesus, the attitude of the, of the, of the servant. And really, I have to stop here and say, there are at least 50 people in this church that I ought to name and praise right now for how they help out in so many different ministries. But I can't because of time. But let me tell you, one day in heaven we'll have all the time and you will cry and weep and go, I'm not worthy. Please don't mention my name. I, I, I didn't succeed. I was a failure. And Lord says, you are my servant. And because you didn't worry about your reputation then, I will worry about your reputation now. He served with love and not with resentment. You know, Jesus loved a world that did not love him back. He did everything he did, not out of force, not because he was manipulated, not because of all the expectations, but because he loved a wretch like me. That is the attitude of a servant. When you minister to somebody, when you give of your life and what you want, and you lose it for somebody else, you've got to do it out of love or you ain't doing it. Jesus did it out of love. He served as a servant, nothing else. He didn't walk around like a king. He didn't command people like a lord. He didn't wear the sunglasses like a star. He didn't expect to be treated like a VIP. You know what he was from the day he was born, even though the wise men, where is he that is born king of the Jews? You know what Jesus was? Born in a stable. And from the day one, all the way through his life, Jesus never became more than a servant and it frustrated his disciples. you walked around Jesus, you'd think, oh, he's just a servant, because that's what he was. He constantly went lower. Do you see these words? It says, verse 7, he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant. Is that low enough? He was made in the likeness of men for God. That's pretty low. And he was found in fashion as a man, and he humbled himself more. He constantly went lower. You'd think coming into the world into an animal's feeding trough would be low. You'd think being raised in a backwoods country house with no plumbing would be low. You would think owning nothing more than the clothes on his back would be low. That it was humiliating enough. But Jesus actually in his life sought to go lower. And it ended up suffering. He humbled himself, verse 8, and became obedient unto, the, unto death even the death of the cross. You know, winning is awesome. That's why I don't like playing Monopoly. Because <laughs> I hate to lose. You know, somebody says, oh, it's just, the, it's not the game, I want to win. <laughs> but serving will always, the reason being is serving will always cost you and me. Listen to Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising, rejecting the shame. He suffered, he endured the cross. Greatest purpose in life is being a blessing and a help to others. And at Christmas, we could do well to learn that because it's still more blessed to give than it is to receive.
Just realize this, if you're ever going to serve, you're going to be hurt. Lastly, he stayed obedient to the end. John 13 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come and that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. He didn't have a good time Charlie kind of love. He loved all the way, even when he was abandoned and alone on the cross. Didn't all the Pharisees and the other thieves, even the other thieves who were crucified with him, and even the Roman soldiers, didn't they just mock Jesus and cried out to him, show me how powerful you are, buddy. You claim to be the Son of God. Show us. Come on down from the cross. He says, I ain't doing it. I'm going to stay where God put me. I'm going to serve where God put me. And that's what I'm looking for. And that's what our church needs is some people who say, I will serve even though it's hard, even though it's, it's unrecognized, even though it is something that's not so important, even so it is something where people will, will take advantage of me, where I walk away and I'm the loser. And I'll do all that because the servant showed me that's victory. That's me to the end. Now it's a break time. Praise Jesus. <laughs> I need you to get you a cup of tea. We're not finished with church. Don't run off. I know, it's, I know it's like, oh, can I go? Can I go? Don't go anywhere. Don't even move. Don't breathe. Tunde. Stop it. Listen to me. Get you a cup of tea. Uh, I need you to find somebody else and hand out both of those. Uh, and get, grab the pens, okay? So I need one other person. These things, while you're drinking your cup of tea, I need you to go around the room, take a good look at these ministry boards. Just take a glance. There is a, there is a treasure hunt there. And for, for the first five who actually finished the treasure hunt, I have chocolate bars, real chocolate. Drool, drool. You finish that first page in there. Come back to me and you get the chocolate bar. But then there's a sheet for you to look and say, I think I'd like to be in a ministry Tick, one, two, three, and then, and, and then at the end, we'll turn it in. I'm going to give you just 25 minutes to have a cup of tea, and then we'll come back, and I have one point to do. My invitation is for you to serve just like the Lord Jesus. All right, take a break. Philippians chapter 2, and we'll be done. By way of review, if you remember what I said, Jesus took a big step down when he became a servant. He made sure he had no reputation at all. He served with love, not resentment. <coughs> when was the last time your, your parents asked you to do the where again for the third time in a row when your older brother should have been asked? <laughs> You serve with love and not with resentment. Jesus served as a servant, never anything more. He always, I mean, he went out of his way. We could go for an hour talking about all the different ways he served. He constantly went lower to the point of suffering. And he suffered all the way to the point of death, staying obedient to the end. It sounds bad. 
Nobody would want to be a servant if that's all there was to it. But there's not. I read the last chapter, amen? Did you ever get a book and get bored in the middle of it and change to the back, back page and go, oh, the butler did do it. <laughs> Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9. Here's the last point. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is now above every name. I don't care what the movie stars think about the name of Jesus. I don't care what, the, you know, you're sitting on the bus and somebody just says Jesus, and it's a dirt word to them. I don't care what anybody else says. That is a very high name now, isn't it? God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow now of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is no longer servant only, but he's Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus had his eyes on the future. You know, he saw something that was ahead. He saw through his servanthood, it wasn't death he was looking at, it was the joy that was beyond the death, the resurrection. And he actually looked down and he saw little old me in 1981, 1980, sorry, getting saved. And he says, I'll do it for him. He saw the day that you got saved and he said, I'll do it for them. He saw the joy of the result of his losing everything for others. And he knew being king of kings and lord of lords, him being great wasn't enough. He said, hey guys, I will honor you too. I'll make sure that one day I'll call your name if you'll just serve me. Go to Romans chapter 8. Go back to the left. Romans chapter 8. If you'll just serve me instead of your friends, if you'll just serve me instead of your own lusts and your own old habits like you used to, if you'll just serve me as flawed and as failed and as unable as you are, if you'll just serve me, I will one day say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, and I'll reward you. Romans chapter 8 and verse 16 says, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, beareth witness with our spirit that woo, we are the children of God. And if children, guess what we are? We're heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. We have everything that he has, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Don't blow your life on trinkets now. Your pockets may be full of coins. Your bank may be full of money. Your house may be full of treasures, but it will all be left behind. But if you live for Christ, if you live to, to please the Father and serve others, there'll be treasures in heaven. There'll be a reward up there that'll make you embarrassed. Amen. For the smallest thing. If you give a cup of cold water in my name, you will not lose your reward. So, I'm looking forward to that day. So whatever muck i got to go through, whatever valleys I've got to go through, whatever suffering I've got to endure, whatever rejection I have to experience, will be worth it all. 
Now, how are you going to serve others? It's not if you're going to serve. It's how. You're going to need to take a step down. You're going to have to go beneath you. You say, well, I would never, Pastor, I would never do that. I would never sing. I w-. Don't say what you won't do. Matter of fact, you know what God does? He delights in making sure you do do what you don't do. Talk to Jonah about that. Start looking and acting like a servant, not proud and arrogant, but like a servant. Always go lower, ladies and gentlemen. Always go lower. No matter how you feel when you hurt, serve still. Joseph went from being the favorite son to a prisoner in prison. And you know what he did? He went lower and he served others in that prison. Be ready and willing to suffer as you serve. Stay obedient to the end with your eyes always on the future, not on the now, and especially not on the past. And do it all as if you're serving Jesus. Would you ever look at these kids in crash or in church, in children's church, and go, I'm just going to love them like they're, like they're the gift that they are, and like, like I was serving Jesus. Because he said, when you did this unto the least of my brethren, God's invitation is three things. One, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection offers a whole new life. Amen. I found that 37 years ago. Mm. Jesus purchased you sonship. He enables you to become the son or the daughter of God. If you do not receive that free gift, let me tell you, you're throwing away heaven for hell. Amen? If you neglect to get born again, if you come week after week and you just put it off, you go, it's not important. Let me tell you, you have exchanged what God's gift of eternal life for eternal damnation. But let me say this, the same is true, dear Christian, if you ignore the chance you have today to become a servant. Jesus purchased not only you eternal life, but he purchased you a life now to be lived for him. Don't wait till heaven before you sing. Don't wait till heaven before you start doing something for God, because that'll be too late. You were made a child of God, not to gloat or strut, but to serve. Find something to get involved in. Tonight, I'm going to show you how to stay serving, because believe me, you'll be excited. You'll say, can I help? And three weeks now, you're going, I quit. I didn't like this. I actually was part of a photography group in in secondary school. I was on. We had a, it's called a real football team, American football team. They call, should call it air ball because it's always in the air. But anyway, they call it football. But there's a young uh, freshman player who was really the bee's knees, brawn, shoulders, thick neck. He was only, what, 15 years old or whatever. And he started playing football with the other team members. And he was always wanting the ball. And he was always wanting to go out to play on the field. And the coach was constantly saying, not yet, not yet. You're not ready. And so at one point in the game, the team was, was being beaten. And he says, let me get out there, coach. Let me get out there. I just want to play. So the coach says, go ahead. Swapped him out for the player. And as he got out there, if you know anything about American football, it's basically throwing refrigerators at each other. That's all it is. So he's over there, and they decide, we're gonna, I'm going to throw you the ball. When you get the ball, run. So anyway, he's over there. And if you've ever seen American football, they get down, and they go, hut, hut, hike. I don't know what that means, but it means go. So anyway, he says, hut, hut, hike. The guy who's called the quarterback. I don't know why he's called a quarterback, but that's what he's called. He went back and he saw the young uh, freshman guy take off like a bullet. 
and he throws that ball up in the air, and that guy's running, and I mean, he's waving at his mom in the crowd, and he's taking, I was there, I was, I mean, I'm embellishing it a little bit, yes, but he's so proud of himself, he's going to catch that ball, he jumps up, he grabs the ball, and as he hits the ground and starts to run, five guys meet him at once, pow, and bring him down. <laughs> when they got off of him, and he got up, and he took that ball, and he walked right back over to the side, and he threw the ball down, and he says, I quit. <laughs> and the coach says, why? He says, I didn't know I was going to get hurt. Let me tell you, you will. It's part of the game. Come tonight, and I'll show you how to stay in the game. Father, there's a chance for every one of us to get involved in something that matters for eternity. First began when we got born again. We got in a, a family of God. But we moved from being family to being servants. At least you're trying to move us. Help us to make that move. Be involved in something in 2019. Because we need to, we, we, we need to be a light in Balancholy. Not just a building or a bunch of people but people who love you and serve others and soul win and minister and make a difference in people's lives. And that takes people. That takes all of us. And it shouldn't be that just a few do all the work. It should be that we all serve together. Help us to serve because we're trying to follow your son. In Jesus' name, amen.